invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Luke's Gospel. As we consider the subject of prayer, I want to take several weeks to go through different passages and to uh, look at what the Bible says regarding prayer. And my, my prayer, hope is that over these next several weeks together, if the Lord tarries, that we will uh, be encouraged uh, to spend more time with the Lord. And so uh, that's where we're headed. I want to provide a few introductory remarks regarding prayer um, before we look at our text. There is no single one text in the Bible that completely covers all there is to know about prayer. In fact, if you want to study and learn more about prayer, then it's going to require that we study multiple different passages of Scripture. Second, I've come to realize that every person who knows God, who has a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ and is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, will possess a desire to pray. That desire will be there. And third, most Christians regarding their desire to pray would confess that they wish they were more disciplined in prayer. They have a, a desire to pray more and to, for their time to commune with God to deepen. And so with those in mind, I invite you to read with me from Luke chapter 18 as we consider uh, persistence in prayer. Luke chapter 18 you have your Bible with you, read with me starting with the first verse. Then he, which is Jesus, spoke a parable to them, to his disciples, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, swiftly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? Let's pray for a moment. God, you are the one true living God with us by your Holy Spirit and always faithful to your word. As we humble ourselves before you, would you be pleased to reveal Jesus, that we might know him more, and to guide us into what he taught his disciples regarding the realities of prayer. 
Would you help us to hear your voice? And in so doing, teach us to pray for your glory and for our good. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. A good companion text for Luke chapter 18 would be Hebrews 11 verse 6. Some of you are familiar with that verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever comes to him must believe that God exists and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. How do we please God? What does the Bible say? Well, we please God by faith. That's how we come to him. That's how we live for him is through faith. And when we do, God promises to reward those who, of us who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 is a summary of Luke chapter 18. I don't have time to go through all of these, but if you have your Bible open, notice in Luke chapter 18, there are five different people, persons, or groups who come to Jesus with some kind of need. Sounds like Hebrews 11.6. He rewards those who believe that he exists by faith and come to him and who seek him. So you see that in Luke 18. First, in the text that we read, his disciples come to Jesus. He's teaching them about prayer. Second, if you'll notice, if you have your Bible, look at verse, verse 9. A group of self-righteous religious leaders come to Jesus. Third, in verse 15, a group of parents come to Jesus. Fourth, in verse 18, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And last, in verse 35, a blind man comes to Jesus, seeking him. And in four of those, of the five cases that are mentioned there in Luke 18, four out of the five in those cases, they are rewarded. They receive something from the Lord. With that in mind, Luke provides an opening commentary from the text that we read in the first verse. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to tell you a parable. And this, of course, it's, he's teaching them about prayer. I'm going to tell you a parable. And if you're here this morning and you know the childhood definition of a parable, any of you know that? Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and say, a parable is what? Do you know the definition? A parable is, this is what many of us learned growing up in church, it is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a parable. That's what Luke begins with in this opening comment, commentary. He provides the parable's meaning. This earthly story providing a heavenly meaning about the kingdom. His followers are to persevere in prayer. That's the lesson. That's what he says in this opening commentary. Those of us who have surrendered our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ always ought to pray. We are to pray without ceasing. You find that same admonition throughout the Bible. First Thessalonians 5 without 17. Pray without ceasing. Praying in all supplication, in prayer, always pray. Always praying. I was going through the book of Ephesians this week and just marking 
always praying, always praying, always praying in the book of Ephesians. And so the point is every follower of Jesus, all of his disciples are to persevere in prayer. That's the opening commentary in verse 1. Never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. It's the main point of this parable. The loose commentary also provides the why. It's also provided in verse 1. Why? Why are we to pray without ceasing, to persevere in prayer? Well, earlier in chapter 17, verse 20, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question about the kingdom. And they, in verse 20, they say, when is it coming? When is the kingdom coming? And in verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples and through the rest of the chapter, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase quickly what Jesus says to them. He says, I am going away. I'm going to leave you. And there's going to be a good period of time that transpires between the time that I leave and the time that I come again. And while I am away, you brothers are going to suffer. Things are not going to be easy for you. And knowing you men like I do, I know that you are prone to getting down. You brothers are prone to becoming downhearted, cast down, discouraged, even maybe a little depressed. And following me is going to cost you, which is certainly what you see happen in the book of Acts after Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, comes upon his disciples, they have a tough time, but they're empowered by God's Spirit. And so when you read this opening commentary, Jesus telling them this parable, he's telling them this parable, providing this teaching on prayer, why? To encourage them. First, he says, persist in prayer, and he says, and don't lose heart, don't faint, don't give up, don't be discouraged. All of us are prone to discouragement. Some of you who are familiar with some of C.S. Lewis's writings, do you remember this little book, The Screwtape Letters? And there's a senior demon in the book who is trying to teach the young apprentice demon on how to hinder God's people, how to stop the work of the church and to prevent it. And so the whole message of the book is he is teaching his young apprentice Wormwood on how to discourage God's people. It's very effective. Most of us are prone also to becoming discouraged at times. We work and we serve and we give and we get tired and we can grow weary and things don't often go the way we think they're going to go. How many of you experienced that, right? Especially in relationships, in marriage with the kids. Things don't always go the way we think they're going to go with our family or with our church family. Unexpected things happen at work. Things don't go the way we think they're going to go with our health. I had a, a dear, dear friend, lifelong friend, worked for 40 years and retired well. And a week after he was ret retired, he was diagnosed with an illness and was gone in 60 days. It's not what he thought was going to happen. That's life. And 
So with health, it may happen with our finances. Things happen. And we're prone to discouragement. Sometimes despair, perhaps even some mild depression. That's the opening commentary. Ongoing, persistent prayer, communion with God will help prevent us from losing heart, from being discouraged. And then to provide even more encouragement and motivation, Jesus then gets into this parable. And he tells first about a terrible, terrible judge. Notice how he's described. He's a city judge, a judge in a certain city. I don't know if there were city judges and rural judges, but a certain judge in a certain city, and he's described two times the same way in verse 2 and also in verse 4. Notice how he's described in the Bible. He is a judge, terrible judge, who has no fear of God and he has no regard for man. It's the same thing in verse 4. No fear of God and no regard for man, which means he has no reverence for God. He has no thought of God. He doesn't care about God, doesn't care what God thinks of him, and he doesn't care for any other person. Pretty terrible judge. How many of you have ever had to go into a courtroom? Anybody? I've had that experience serving on juries, and a few grand juries, and, and even a couple of times with some family business. And it's, a courtroom is a kind of a, it's a serious place. Uh, judges in courtrooms have, they have authority. And you hope that whatever judge that you are appearing before, he or she, you, you hope that that judge is wise and moral and caring and the decisions that the just renders are fair and just. How many of you would want to go into a courtroom with this kind of judge? Perhaps he's an atheist. No regard for God and doesn't care about you or anyone else. I would not want to go into that courtroom. I can easily imagine he's the kind of judge who was crooked. The kind of judge who would be open to a bribe. The kind of judge that would render decisions based upon how they might benefit him or her. This judge's concern was only for self. Verse 6, Jesus summarizes this judge in verse 6 as an unjust judge. Jesus could have easily said, this judge is a disgrace to the bench, a disgrace to the legal system. That's the judge. And then in the parable, Jesus describes this second character, a poor widow. She's being persecuted. Some adversary is taking advantage of her. Do you remember when Jesus rebukes the religious leaders, the Pharisees? He says, you prey upon widows. Take advantage of them. Here she is, persecuted, being taken advantage of, has some kind of adversary, and she has no resources. She has no money for a bribe. 
no money for good legal counsel, no attorney to plead her case, no position to provide of anything of use or value to the judge. In the parable, all this poor widow can do is plea, plea for help, plea for justice, to make him aware of her case, for the judge to, to do something, to intervene. Your honor, your honor, would you help me? This adversary is taking advantage of me. I need your help. And verse 4 says, the judge would not do anything. An unjust judge, he is hard, hard, hardened, no concern for her or anyone else. He's harsh, no concern for her plight. His only concern, as you read through the parable, is what? To get rid of her. To get rid of her. Notice verse 5. She was not one to be easily rid of. She's not one who is quick to give up. For the Bible says she continues and continues and it continues pleading for help. Going to the judge over and over. Pleading and asking him for help. Following him maybe in the streets finding him, tracking him down in the marketplace, waiting outside of his home, catching him on the way to work. There is nothing that is going to keep her from ceasing to cry out for his help. She is desperate. And the conclusion in verse 6, Jesus says, hear what the unjust judge finally said. Or, Perhaps he said to himself audibly, or perhaps he thought to himself, but here's a change. This woman is driving me out of my mind. This woman is driving me crazy. Her continual pleading before me is exhausting. It is wearying me. And therefore, because she's such a pain, I will avenge her. I'll give her what she needs and be away with her once and for all. The commentary, Jesus says to his disciples, remain persistent in prayer, always pray. You ought to pray and it will keep you from discouragement. And then he provides this parable to further motivate, encourage them to pray. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus saying in the parable, is this the meaning, that you and I are like this poor, desperate widow, and in prayer we are to badger God and to frantically bother God and wear God down and exhaust God until he finally gives us what we want? Is that the lesson? Is God like this judge who is hard and harsh and uncaring? Is God a, like this self-centered judge who would, if he really had his way, he would prefer that we just leave him alone? Is that what the parable is teaching? Nothing could be farther from the truth. In fact, Jesus is, ex is using this extreme drama of the parable to actually provide a contrast 
It's a parable of contrast to make the very opposite points of what the parable seems to be describing. The opposite. God is opposite of this judge. The exact opposite. So let's begin with God. Let's talk about, and I I learned a new theological word uh, a few months ago. Let's talk about God's aseity. Have you ever heard about God's aseity? God's aseity is the exact opposite of the judge. Our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, is the uncaused cause. He is the uncreated creator. God in his aseity is the source of all things. He is the one who sustains all things. He is the ever-present power that holds all things together. God spoke to Isaiah and said, for I am God, there is no other God. I am God, there is no other like me. He told Moses, I am who I am. God in his society is the eternally self-existent being who always was and will always be. He is completely independent and has no needs. God did not create mankind because he was lonely or because he needed something to do. He needed something to create. God is eternal. He is immutable. He never changes. He is absolute. He alone decides what he will do in all of creation. Nothing can thwart his purpose to keep his promises. What God promises to do in his word, he will do. And what he determines is going to happen will happen. A sanity. He is infinite. And think about unlike the judge. In, think about infinite. You, you know what I think about when I hear that, and I just it's got the way my mind works, but did you, remember the Disney movie? Uh, and the little, oh, I can't even think of his name, just popped my head. And he said, uh, Buzz, right? Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond, right? Infinity. God is infinite in his holiness. God is infinite in his sovereignty. God is infinite in his wisdom. He is infinite in his power. God's love is infinite. God's grace is infinite. God's graciousness is infinite. God's mercy is infinite. God's justice is infinite. It is perfect. It is holy. It is right. It is pure. He's nothing like this judge. And even as bad as that judge is, he still meets this widow's need. But God is nothing like that. Jesus says of the father in this parable, he will avenge his children. He will provide, he will avenge his own elect. That's you and me, that's us. He knows what we need even before we ask him. Earlier Luke says, he knows how to give good gifts to his children, us, his elect. Jesus says in the text, he 
will avenge speedily, or the word could be translated swiftly, which means God answers and his provisions will always be right on time. How many of you have discovered in your walk, your relationship with God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've discovered that God very seldom works according to your timetable? Anybody but me? How many of you have heard the old phrase, God is seldom early, but never late, right on time? Jesus says in the parable, God hears his children. He hears us. He hears those who cry out to him day and night, who are persistently praying. And he knows what we need. And he's good, infinitely good, and gracious, and kind, and merciful. Jesus says, God bears long. Our God is long-suffering. Aren't you glad that God is patient? And long-suffering, God, thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for being long-suffering with me. You've suffered a long time putting up with me. A little, little sign I have on my desk. This reads, somebody gave it to me years ago. Please be patient with me, for God is not finished with me yet. Hmm. And God is calling you and I to pray, to persevere and pray, to, to trust him. And there are a lot of things in life that as we pray for, we'll feel like we're in a waiting room. How, how many of you like waiting rooms? Oh, I, I just love waiting rooms, <laughs> right? You sit and you sit and they want you to be on time. But waiting rooms are kind of a drag. You get impatient. What's the holdup? What's taking so long? And I'm sure none of you have ever been rude in a waiting room, right? That's never happened or walked out. Sometimes when we pray, we're going to, it may feel like we're in God's waiting room, waiting. Something I've discovered in waiting rooms. God's waiting room is while we pray and it seems like this answer has not been swift, it's not been speedily to come, things are not going the way we, that I want them to go as I pray, that, but I've discovered that in that waiting room, God's doing something in me. He's teaching me some things about him and his faithfulness and teaching me some things about trusting him and relying upon him in those waiting rooms. And at the end of the text, there's a question. Jesus asks, and he's referring to his children, those who are to pray, and he says, when the Son of Man comes again, will he really find faith on the earth? In other words, when he comes, will he find his disciples praying? Faith results in prayer, and prayer brings about faith. A.W. Tozer said they're inseparable. They're a hand in glove. Will he find his church 
praying. Let me share with you a few practical considerations on prayer. Maybe perhaps start with some misconceptions about prayer, about persistence that you might evenly wrongly conclude from this text. First, when we pray, God is not impressed with the quantity of our words. Study the Sermon on the Mount. When the disciples asked Jesus to pray, and he says, when you pray, do not think that you'll be heard because of your many words, because of vain repetition. God is not impressed with the quantity of our words that if we somehow keep praying, we'll earn an answer from him. When we pray, God is not ignorant or forgetful and needs us to keep praying to inform him to inform him and to keep him up to date so we need to keep praying? No. When we pray, God is not unconcerned and, and God needs us to stir him up and so if we pray more, if we persist in prayer, we're more, more prone to motivate God and to catch him on a good day. When we pray, God is not hard-hearted, needing us to soften his heart towards us or trying to get him to like us more so then he'll give us what we want. No. This parable is not teaching anything remotely close to that. Let me provide some positive insights on persistent prayer. First, when we pray, when we pray, we are offering up our desires and our longings and our burdens to God. When we pray, we're offering our desires before the Lord. Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts before him for God is a refuge to us. That's what prayer is. Offering up ourselves. Lord, this is how I feel right now. This is how I'm thinking. This is what I'm going through. And Lord, this is what I long for right now. That's prayer. Second, when we pray, we are surrendering. Surrendering our will to God. You remember Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, say, our Father, hallowed be your name, exalted. Lord, be you and your Kingdom come and your will be done. Let it be done in my life as you want it to be done in heaven. Jesus modeled that in Matthew 26. You remember, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, you can let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And following the Lord Jesus Christ was never... It was never intended to be easy. Is your walk, is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ easy? How long has it been since you felt like your walk with Christ and his call upon your life was demanding something from you that was costly? To say, God, not my will, but yours be done. 
He'll call you to do some hard things to bring him glory, to bring him honor. And it may be that you cancel a debt. Someone has hurt you. Someone has wronged you, deeply wounded you. And God is saying, you need to let it go. You need to cancel that debt. But I don't want to let it go. I can't let it go. Prayer is offering our desires and our longings before the Lord. And prayer is saying, God, help me to get out of the way. Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. Prayer is entering into a conversation with God. It's not a speech. (laughs) It's not just one-sided. It's a dialogue. We talk and we listen. Hey, Do you know somebody that when you see them coming, you think, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Why? Because you know it's just going to be a speech. There's not much dialogue. It's just one-sided. They're just going to wear you out. They're just not aware of how much they're talking. You know, And, and that's not prayer. Prayer is a dialogue. Psalm 27, 8 says, Lord, when you said, seek my face, my heart responded to you and said, Lord, your face I will seek. God says this, and we say that, that's prayer. Too many of us are better at talking, but not so good at listening. Don't elbow your spouse. So prayer is a conversation. We're seeking his face. Pouring out our desires, our longings to the Lord, saying, God, help me to die to self, to get out of the way. Your will be done. It's a dialogue. And then listening to the Lord. Fourth, when we pray, we are practicing the presence of God. Psalm 27, or Psalm 27 is wonderful. It says, this one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and all of the days of my life to behold, to gaze Upon his beauty, the psalmist is simply saying, God, I want to be with you. God, I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your company. I remember there was an old song. We, I just, we sing, Lord, I just want to be where you are, living daily in your presence. I don't want to worship far, from afar. Lord, draw me near to where you are. That's prayer. Jesus said in John 14, 23 to his disciples, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's that's an amazing verse. That we will come and dwell with them, make our home with them. Well, how does that happen? It happens in prayer, time alone with God, meditating on him and meditating on his word and listening to his voice. And when we are praying and offering our desires to the Lord and surrendering our will to him and in conversation with God, listening to him, we'll experience his presence. It's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. Being in his presence. It's about coming before God and thinking and asking him questions. Telling God, this is how I feel today. I'm frustrated today. God, I'm sad today. I'm discouraged today. Or Lord, I'm full of joy today. And 
That's prayer. And it's, it's saying, God, this thing is bothering me. This situation is bothering me, and I, I need your help with this. Prayer is talking with him about what he said to me in his word and asking him, how do I handle this? I don't know what to do with this. I wish I didn't even know about this. God, what do you, what do you want me to do? What, how do I need to handle this? How do I need to respond? Prayer is asking him to explain that person to me. I don't understand that person. I don't understand this problem. God, would you explain it? Would you help me understand it? Prayer is expressing concerns and desires for myself. Someone asked me a long time ago, is it wrong? Isn't it selfish to pray for yourself? I hope not. Jesus prayed for himself. He withdrew regularly to spend time alone with the Father. I pray for myself a lot. I pray for Mindy. I pray for my family. I pray for my church family. I think and pray about those in this church who are hurting and who are going through hard things and pray for them and people who are going through sickness and are uncertain about the future and people who are struggling with finances. And we have people in this church that are all different financial levels and some here are barely hanging on, barely able to pay their rent and to buy groceries. And I think about that. And those of our church family who are hurting in their marriage, who are frustrated, and those who've lost loved ones and who are grieving, and those who are not walking with Jesus the way they should, those of our church family who are living in sin, they're not living in a way that honors and glorifies God, and so we pray. We pray for them. I, I've certainly learned, I can't fix, I can't... If, you, and many of you are the same with me. I, I would fix everything and everybody if I could and make everyone happy and make everyone's life better, but none of us can do that. But God can. God can fix. God can heal. God can restore. God can strengthen. God can redeem. God can revive. God can do everything we have. That's what the Bible means when it says the battle is his. The battle is the Lord's. I used to think years and years ago when I first started pastoring in church, I was a little winsome and I could meet with people and win them over and talk them in and convince them to do this. And unless the Lord speaks, unless the Lord works through his word, we're, we're, we're much more powerless than we even think. Remember that old song, and he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. Remember that old song? That's prayer. And finally, when we pray, we experience the peace of God. The peace of God. Paul wrote to the Philippians from a prison cell, rejoice in the Lord. Always again I say rejoice. Let all men know your moderation or your patience. Why? He said, because the Lord is near. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And what does he promise? And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard and keep your mind in Christ Jesus the Lord. 
If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, then I know this for a fact. He is calling you to pray. He's calling you to live a lifestyle of prayer. What a great invitation seeing then that we have this great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our faith. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tested in every point just like we are yet without sin. Therefore, therefore, let us come before his throne of grace. Let's pray to receive mercy and to find grace in times of need. What a marvelous invitation to hold firmly to the faith and to come before the Lord in prayer. Do you pray? Are you talking to the Lord? Are you offering up your desires and your longings to the Lord? Have you, are you surrendering your will to God? Are you in conversation? Are you abiding in his presence and experiencing his peace? Do you pray? Must Don and the musicians to come for a time of invitation. And let me tell you the best place to begin a meaningful prayer life. The starting point is to go on from Luke 18 and just come before the Lord. And this is the best starting point to live a life of prayer. Just come before the Lord and say, Lord, my life's a mess. My life's a mess. I've made so many mistakes, have regrets. I wish I could go back and change things and change relationships and life's a mess. You see that in Luke 18, right? The, the guy who went into the temple and one guy was arrogant and conceited and the other guy just stood back away from the, the front and said, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And he just, and he beat his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me. Things are a mess. And Jesus said the one who was justified that day was the one who was honest and cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't have it all together and I need you. I need you in my life. Would you, would you strengthen me? Would you change me? Pleading like that desperate widow, Lord, I need you to change me and just lavish your grace upon my life. Would you stand? If you're here this morning and you just need to come and kneel before the Lord in prayer, perhaps to confess some sin while Christians are praying. And let me say this to you. This is probably the most important time of our corporate gathering when we worship. This is probably the most sacred, most important time. And so when the invitation started, it's not a time for us to shut down. He's finally over. That might be true, but it's a time of response, a time of worship. That's what worship is. Worship is responding to the Lord. If there's no response, there's no worship. And so you respond to the Lord this morning during this time of invitation. If you need to come, if you need to 
If you'd like to go and pray with someone else or to take them by the hand and say, would you come and pray for me? Just however God is leading. Let's, let's spend some time in prayer together as we sing.